Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the Curly Questions podcast. In episode 8 of the podcast today, we're going to talk about Tiny Changes Big Impact. And I have in here Philip, whom I met when I was putting up my startup through the Darabin PJ competition. That was about two years ago, back in those days when I was still living in the North. I met Philip again a few weeks ago when he was speaking at TEDx, and I thought, what a great time to reconnect. Hmm. Just before I hand it over to Philip, I thought I might just mention a little bit about his background and what he's tried for. Philip is an industrial designer and thinks we can do better, be better, and change the way to design and consume. All we need is a mindset shift, his mission to change the world one product at a time. In fact, during the TEDx talk, he spoke about what we can do with our own two hands. And it sounds like he's doing exactly that through design for the triple bottom line. People, planet, and profit. Now, I'm just going to hand it over to Philip to start with sharing his stories and why he cares. So over to you, Philip. Thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me first uh, today. I was trying to recall as you were doing this introduction, when was maybe the first trigger so this one I shared during the TEDx talk where I was flying to the U.S. and came back. But earlier than that, I think when I was about seven, I had something that really shocked me too. It's that age when you just start reading and everything. And uh, I remember I was given a kind of a comic book, so something quite simple to read. And the story was just a one-page story. There was a little boy, maybe six, seven, in the desert of Northern Africa and his dad. And the boy was asking, why do we have so little water? And his dad said, well, because, you know, we live in a desert and water is very precious to us and everything. And then the kid was asking, why is everyone like us? And like having that little and I have to pay attention to every drop. And the dad said, no, there are countries and places where they have plenty of water. And the kid didn't understand. He lives in the desert. He said, what do you mean by plenty of water? And the dad replied, they have so much water that they shit in it. Oh, no. And I remember like stopping reading and being completely struck. It's like, oh my God, you know, something that I take for granted that I think is normal is completely insane for that person. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think that's one of the triggers. The other trigger, the one I mentioned mm. during the talk, is you know, I fly to the um, U.S. as a kid and watch the ocean just to realize a few years later that the ocean is already, and that was you know, a long time ago, already completely polluted. And, and when you look at the size of the ocean, that's 70% of the surface of this planet. It's like mind-blowing that we've been polluting such a wide space, you know. So the whole idea of my perception and my intention in design is trying to make sure that when we design stuff, products, services, and everything, we try at least to have that conversation, to think about what's the impact of what we do. Okay, so that's probably how you kind of got started and realized that um, this design, you want to make sure that you design something that has a gift back to the planet and not just for pure consumerism. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a big fan of, uh, I did a, a talk called uh, Design for the Dump, um, <laughs> which is a lot of product that we have, you know, you buy them and then, you know, three weeks or six months after they break down and you don't know, they cannot be repaired. I have a son, he's six and uh, we buy him stuff and they break down and there's absolutely no way to repair them. And it's even designed in such a way. So you cannot unscrew everything. It's all sealed and you need to break the toy to repair it. So that really upsets me because it disempowers people to do what they need to do. 
And I'm more into the side of empowering people, even the consumers. I think consumers are not stupid and they know exactly mm. what's going on. Mm. They are not offered a choice and alternative, so they have to go with the storytelling and the narrative that is presented. And I just want to challenge that. That's, mm. that's just what I want to do. Yeah, you spoke about empowering consumers yes. um, through design and, you know, in specifically, you say like the toy and all that. So I think just going back to the topic that you spoke about in 10x, right? Mm-hmm. Can you do with your own two hands? Yeah. I think sometimes I feel like while well, we feel empowered, we don't do anything. So like, how would you go about the narrative around what can you do with your own two hands? For, for me, it's a question I've been pondering for many, many years. I think there's a level, a global level of narrative everywhere mm-hmm. that is extremely disempowering. Uh, you look at the news, it's all negative and everything yes. because it's attention grabbing, it's appeal to the regular brain, yeah. all that stuff. So that's why you buy the paper because it shocks you. And and there's a whole industry about that. Like if you look at the news, it's not about the news, it's about it's kind of the shocking industry. You know, how can we shock you enough so that I grab your attention and then and, and all the social media platforms are also kind of in this way too. It's like what can I do to really grab an attention and you, you look at the phenomenon and, and if you look some president of mm-hmm. big nations, that's what they do too in terms mm. of narrative. They shock all the time. Yeah. They have declaration and tweets that are completely <laughs> insane and because they grab your attention and, and it's all this negative spiral. So what I see is that in my opinion, that's just one narrative. Mm-hmm. And what I want to build, I want to build a more positive and empowering narrative. Mm. And Today, we hear a lot about the first one and very little about the second one. Yep. But I also know that if you empower a number of people, then they keep empowering other people. And if that system works, you have a ripple effect there too. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't need TV or social media to do that. Maybe it's just good world, uh, word of mouth uh, type of relationship. Or, but I know that works too. So what I have in mind is just to find a different way to communicate. And that's why I've been studying also storytelling, because storytelling has a number of uh, different impacts. So like if I tell you facts about things, it's super boring and you don't register them, really. I mean, there's a few nerds in the place that will do, but most of the people won't. But if I tell you a story, Mm -hmm. then you can leave the story because you understand from the emotional perspective that you can own that story too. Mm -hmm. And then you can change that. So the whole point, coming back to the talk, was to craft a story to make sure that, yeah, even though you think that you failed maybe at something, even though you think that it's small mm-hmm. what you've been doing, but actually, no, maybe it's not. Maybe it's much bigger. Maybe it has a ripple effect on few people. And then those people talk to another few people. And then yeah. you, suddenly you impacted a thousand people around you without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. So that's more the empowering narrative that mm. I want to see and that's where I'm focusing my attention to. Yeah. Okay. And that's where you see that that goes back to the original question of what can you do with your own two hands is to say that let's have that word of mouth effect. Yeah. The the network effect on there. So if we were to talk about like your experience in coming out with designs and all that, so yeah. how do you encourage um, people to really use their own two hands? For me the real topic is about mindset. Yep. So a lot of people feel really disempowered, like yeah. there's nothing. I mean, if you look at the world, mm-hmm. there's a lot of bad news out there. And, yeah. and if you look at the facts, it's actually a good mm-hmm. time to live in this world. <laughs> so there's this kind of very big tension that is out there. So there's the narrative and the facts. And mm-hmm. people don't really look at the fact, they, they listen to the narrative because yes. that's the storytelling part of the yeah. story. So my, my intention is more to have conversations so that people 
can change their mind about mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And if they change their mind, then yeah. they are in power suddenly because yeah. they understand what's going on and they understand, mm-hmm. you know. So if you take, for example, social media, uh, yeah. some people are completely grabbed by that. Yes. So if you understand, uh, if you have a conversation with them, say, okay, you do understand that you're being played you know, by the AI algorithm and all that yeah. stuff. And, you know, they push you and then mm-hmm. make sure that you need to continue scrolling because, yeah. you know, all, you know, all mm-hmm. the phenomenon that happens mm-hmm. in your mind. Mm-hmm. But you can break that. You can just stop that and, you know, breathe and, and yeah. do something different. And so it's, the, the whole goal of um, what I'm trying to achieve is just to propose a different narrative, propose a different mm-hmm. way of thinking so that if we do the mindset and uh, the, the shift, then we can do everything we, we want. I mean, we can repair yeah. this world in three or five years if we want to. Yeah, I agree. And it's, yeah. it's not that difficult, by the way. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's courageous. I'm not saying mm-hmm. the contrary. You know? yeah. Technically, we have everything we need to repair this world. Mm. Absolutely everything. I think on, on the other side, right? Like, I mean, when you connect people to stories, they're more or less mm. more inclined to action on it. But also, I also struggle with the fact that sometimes when you see natural disaster happening in a country that's not the same as our country here, yeah. people tend to be more disengaged. But if you see the same terrorist attack happening in Paris, yeah. then people are like, oh, I'm kind of, I want to make a change, right? So yeah. there's a bit of um, the factor around that's identified with me personally as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's, uh, for me, I really understand and see that. It's also how the news and the media present things. Yes. And it's very sad that some of the news are not newsworthy for the media. Correct. So a hundred people die in a bomb attack somewhere in Africa. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know, you know why it doesn't make the first page. Yeah. But the same thing happened in Melbourne CBD. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I think that's really unfair and everything. I really mm-hmm. get that. But again, if you understand that the news are a system mm-hmm. and what they try to do is grab your attention and make sure that you know you stay in that state of mind, yeah. then you can really take your distance around that. Like you don't have to buy into that narrative. You don't have to you know react to yeah. oh my god, you know there's an attack, terrorist attack somewhere. And, mm-hmm. And yeah, that happens, but there's plenty of other good stuff that's happening. There's yeah. plenty of new technology that mm-hmm. really empower people. And um, mm-hmm. so like AI, you know, yeah. that's one of the new technologies out there. Like I'm a bit suspicious and that's a nice way to say to let people like, you yeah. know, the Facebook team manage AI. Um, Just putting the power in their hands. Yeah, because I'm really not sure about the intention, you know. I mean, they, they talk yeah. about, you know, connecting people and everything, but that's not their business model. This business model has nothing to do with connecting people. It's about sending advertising. So they're going to have AI that will be more powerful than any human being in their team Mm -hmm. to sell you more advertising. And I'm like, well, is that the best we can do as a human species? Mm -hmm. Like, really? Seriously? (laughs) And so I'm more in the side, okay, well, AI is just a tool. So they want to use this tool for this. I understand. I'm Mm -hmm. not probably going to play that game. Mm -hmm. How can we use the same tool to empower people so that they have a choice and they are protected and they, you know, so that's where I look at. It's Mm -hmm. just a different lens. Yes, true. I mean, going back to the topic for this episode, right, we spoke about like tiny changes, big and big, and what we can do with our own hands as well. Yes. And back to also st- storytelling. Yeah. Can you recount any like on your own personal story around how you actually make some small changes, yes. large impact, or even where you see people making small changes and large impact? 
I have this theory, so to speak, that, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there and especially the young entrepreneurs that want to go out there and change the world. Yes. And when you have discussion with them and you start really digging into it, some have issues of self-confidence, mm-hmm. some are motivated by greed, actually. So they want to do stuff that actually it's about greed and power. And, right. and it's like, okay, I understand. So you want to change your world, but you don't want absolutely anything to change yourself. Yes. So right. for me, the story is like, okay, that's all nice and good. But if I were to sequence your life, so to speak, I would say, you know, the first few years of your life, you, you need to have an education. And I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing, but that's mm. what happens. Yeah. So you receive an education. The next few years, or like the next 20 years, you need to criticize that education system and peel the layers that prevent you to do things. Yeah. And you need to work on yourself. That's for me, that's the biggest thing you can do in this life is do the inner journey. Mm-hmm. And once you have done the inner journey, then you could, you could go out there and start impacting the world. So I haven't published that yet, but I started drafting an article pretty much saying that, in my opinion, any AI should be written only by enlightened beings. Wow. It's quite, how do you define enlightened beings? Well, it's people that did the inner journey mm-hmm. and that have either a very good understanding of the self and the ego so mm-hmm. that they are not played by that yeah. or they don't have any ego anymore. Mm. So it's not about them, it's about consciousness. Self, yeah, self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, like the top level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because, well, if your intention, like you're a big social media company and you want to do AI because you want to sell more stuff, yeah. your intention is greed. So what's going to happen when you code all the stuff? It's greed and yes. coded. So you have a super powerful tool that is greed level, exponential, whatever. Yeah. And I don't know what's the result of that, but I doubt that's going to be good. But if you have people that have this kind of selfless mindset, actually, mm-hmm. that can code and everything, then they will code for the benefit of everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's the same tool, yeah. same code, same tools, same technologies. But one is applying for green, one is applying for the benefit of everyone. I'm more inclined for the second version. Yeah, no, I, I, t- I totally agree with you. I mean, in my own life as a product manager, um, so I kind of work with developers and mm-hmm. people to code and all that. So there might there are many times where I have to question the ethics of it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a very big question. Yeah, and unfortunately, most of the time when I question it, I, I'm not empowered to say that we can't do that because it's not ethical, but... Mm. You know, there's a higher power. Above. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the view I have around that. Mm-hmm. And what changes have you made in your life? Like you say that tiny changes? Yeah. Uh, big impact? Yeah. For me, the, the most interesting one is the personal journey in meditation. And mm-hmm. I really like the compound effect and the meditation journey because they are linked and you can really sense that from experience. So what happened the first few years of meditation, you run this kind of very, very boring flat line. Yeah. Like really, like mm-hmm. nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Or at least your perception as a meditator is like not much happens. Correct. So you do the sitting, you sit for, you know, 5, 10, 20, uh, I don't know, an hour or two. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh gosh, you know, I'm like, I feel I'm the same that six months ago, two years ago, it's like, 
still the same thoughts, still the same negativity happening, still the same OCD type of thinking. I don't, you know, it's like, oh my God, this is so frustrating. And 10 years later, you see, oh gosh, yeah, there are changes happening. So what's happening there is they start hitting the, the curve of the compound effect. Mm. So there are less stuff happening to you and everything. Yeah. And then the, the beauty of the journey is that the hard work is at the beginning. After that, it's relatively easy. And then the layers of the onions of your mind and the negativity is just peeled by itself pretty much. So you just unpeel yeah. the whole thing. And that's very interesting to come back to the point. It's like yeah. those are tiny changes every yes. day. Like you could meditate for you know, 10, 15 minutes every day. And 10 years after, you have a huge impact, mm -hmm. like very, very big. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, one of the best, not quote, but advice or yeah, maybe quote I received from my meditation teacher was, accomplished a great task by a series of small acts. Yeah. So, you know, you build a wall by mm -hmm. putting one brick. Correct. I mean, it's all about it's just consistency. That. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also tried to meditate before, and I hit the same curve as, and I haven't even hit that curve. I hit the same flat line mm -hmm. as you do. Mm. And you're like, oh, God, it's a drag after a while. You're like, mm. again, and then you're like, oh, I have a lot of things to do. I need to start my day early. Yeah. How, how do you get past that that stage of like, it's, it's small changes, but you can't see anything. No, you, you can't. For me, well, I, I'm, I'm a normal human being like everyone. So I've been through the journey. The thing is, you know, sometimes like, ah, oh, yeah. I'll drop that for, you know, a week, a month or yeah. you know, whatever. But I always came back to it anyway, because mm -hmm. you kind of feel intuitively that mm -hmm. it, it has some benefits somewhere. Yeah. You can't really explain that. But I think there, there's something in terms of, again, it's about a mindset. You know, some people see meditation as a very transactional thing. Mm. There's a lot going on around that, by the way, like all the apps and you're going to do that and you're going to feel super cool, quiet, and you're going to be this kind of loving person with a big aura. And I wish that was the case, but it's not because the journey is about awareness, self-awareness, and, mm -hmm. you know, which means that you're going to be aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything yeah. in between. So the question is, the beginning, you start observing the good. Mm -hmm. What happens when you start digging to the bad? Yeah. Well, people give up. True. It's like, well, no, I didn't see that I was a jealous person, for example. Or, gee, after two years of meditation, I'm greedy. That's what I see every day when I see it. It doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. No, it does work. Mm -hmm. It's just that's part of the journey, but it's not transactional. You know, it mm -hmm. gets better over time. So the whole idea is, for me, the understanding is like, okay, you start crossing the desert or the, mm -hmm. the river. Do you stop in the middle and come back or do you push to the other side? Like it's, yeah. you know, you're in the middle of the desert, you have half a glass of water like I have mm -hmm. now in my hands. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Do you continue your journey or do you go back to where you were before? That's a, that's a good analogy. And it's like, yeah. I can go back to where I was before because I decided to move and I decided to take the mm -hmm. journey. So. I, what do you mean? I can't go back. Like, doesn't mm. make any sense. All that effort you make yeah. is going to come back to absolutely zero if you come back. Yeah. I think that's because you also, you think of it as like a physical river. Like, say, if you do cross half of it, what mm -hmm. do you do? Do you turn back and walk the, the rest of it back? Or do you go forward and cross and go to the other side of the town? Yeah. But a lot of people, right? I mean, even myself, I try to meditate. Like, I guess I haven't subscribed to the analogy. Like, oh, okay. So I have been trying to meditate for the past eight weeks. Nothing really happened. I'm really busy. I don't see the effect of like, I just drop it. Yeah.
because I don't have to physically go back to where I was. Mm, yeah. I, I don't feel it. I don't see it. Even, oh yeah, okay. I just forget about the ten minutes every morning anyway. Yeah. <laughs> But also, the other thing I did is trying to find information about meditation and what it does. And I attended a teaching from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And he oh, said, wow. if you want to see a change in your mindset or mindstream, like work on the change. And when you think you got it, check 10 years later if you're still available. That's the time frame that they have in mind. So when you hear that, it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm 30. It's like... I need to check when I'm 40, like, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. But then again, if you flip the, the, the coin, it's like, okay, yeah. let's say I'm 30, I have OCD and mm-hmm. whatever, I have whatever mind stuff happening, you know, negative patterns, okay. Yeah. What happens if I can get rid of that and be happy when I'm 40? It's like, ah, oh, that's a compelling offer. Yeah. I'll take it. Mm. And then you continue to, to do the work and then you realize that you're 35 and you're happy because you drop all the, your stuff, yeah. your baggage from before. And you check on your 40 and yes. it hasn't come back. Yeah, I guess that's where you look forward to the fruits of it, right? So yeah. that's very motivating as well. Yeah. 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 Oh. But the funny bit with med- meditation is that if you seek the fruit, you don't get it. If you let go and drop everything, you get the fruit. There's this, um, so like, it's oh, a very interesting paradigm there. Yeah, because you almost feel like there's a sense of attachment, right? When you are so attached to an outcome, mm-hmm. very often you're looking at an outcome, but you're not looking through the journey. Yeah. Because the journey matters more than the destination. Yeah, so for me, small change, big impact. If mm-hmm. you want to do that, start by doing the inner journey. Mm-hmm. Probably the best thing you can do. And then go out there and change the world. You know, it's because um, you're going to have so much more power too. Yeah. It's not about you. Because mm-hmm. you can sense that. I mean, you, you see people pitching for their stuff and everything. And you have a sense sometimes, like, you know, oh, they want power, you know, or they want to take over that thing. And so they want the money. And, yes. and okay, oh, wow, they found a niche where, okay. So you see that. But when you see the guy that is, okay, well, I found something AI for the homeless, for example. Yeah. I developed an AI algorithm, mm-hmm. so if you're homeless, you tap into that and give you all the options, whatever, and then you know, suddenly you have education, or I don't know, you know, yeah. something like yeah. it's like super empowering. That's probably more like a selfless thing. And you can have AI for top CEOs because, you know, people think that those guys have everything figured out. Mm-hmm. But when you have conversation, you realize that they don't. Yeah. But they don't have anyone to turn to because they think, you know, people mm-hmm. will ask for money and they want the slice of the pie and all that stuff. So they get very distant with people. It's very hard to approach them. Yeah. So maybe there's a tool that can empower these people so that they can understand how their own mind work and how the whole system of life works and everything and then be comfortable with it yeah I think the mind is like a maze though you can never yeah. stop learning about it I mean like oh yeah yeah I think ever since I came back I mean I I was from Singapore so I came to Australia about almost four years ago I think my whole perspective has changed mm-hmm. yeah and when I speak to my own fellow countrymen mm-hmm. on the phone sometimes I I find it very hard to navigate between the two worlds now because yeah. I think first Back in where I came from, we tend to be a bit more brand conscious and a little bit more textbook style. It has to be step by step. And now that I can just show I kind of have to work on myself and like, hey, how do I navigate in a culture that's so totally different? And the small changes I need to even the way I speak sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the way I write. Yeah, the, the worldviews that I find are fascinating. I've been traveling and studying in UK and studying in Canada and, yeah. and now I'm mm-hmm. in Australia and everything. And I was in Germany for some time. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how you can pursue the worldview. Like yeah. it's, it's like, oh my gosh. And it's really eye-opening. And it's very hard to come back home after that. 
I agree. <laughs> so imagine it's, it's so for me it's the same with meditation. So mm-hmm. you start at home, it's like crossing that journey. Yeah. You cannot come home because you're not the same anymore. Yeah. So you may as well finish the journey. It's just you know, <laughs> take a bottle of water and go for it. Yeah. True that, true that. Yeah. So if you were to like bring the, the internal X to external, I mean bring back to your experience in I think industrial design yeah, 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 yeah. And, and product physical product design. Yes. I come from the software space, but yeah. I'm not so familiar with physical mm-hmm. product design. But I love to hear from you like do you see any examples or have you done any product design where you see small changes, big impact? Like, describe to us how, how, how it was like. And Well, there are a number of uh, layers I could talk about that, but one of the products is uh, something I designed just for myself. It's called mm-hmm. Cable Stop. It's a cable management device. Wow, that's super important. Something, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's not a very big, very complex product. But the intention at the time was to mm-hmm. have a product that that could be used over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, not designed for the dump pretty mm-hmm. much. You know, right. something that will last, something with good quality, something yeah. that feels good too, mm-hmm. something that works like a no-brainer, you know, like you know. So I spent about eight months designing a product that had three parts. So it's like duh, you know. But it's like everything, uh, until months five or six, there were like six or seven parts and that was more complex and more costly and so mm-hmm. But the whole point of that product is like um the product has to be profitable because you know you need to run a business and, and make a profit. Mm-hmm. And that's financial sustainability. I think that's yeah. still important. Mm-hmm. The impact on the environment, there are only two materials used for that product. One is a plastic and I have mm-hmm. nothing against plastic in the condition that it's part of an ecosystem where it can be reused over and over again. Okay. So the plastic yeah. that is used in that context is, is a good quality ABS so you can take exactly the same plastic and, and then transform that into another product mm-hmm. and not lose much of the quality of that plastic. Oh, awesome. So that's it's yeah. kind of a circular loop. Mm-hmm. And the rest is um, stainless steel, and stainless steel is the same. You remill that and you put that back into whatever, and it could be the rail or the mm-hmm. frame from your next house or something. Yeah. So there's a way to re- reuse and, and, and yeah. recycle all those material in the mm-hmm. And the last was people, you know, I was given the opportunity, so to speak, to manufacturers overseeing in cheap labor countries and everything. But mm-hmm. when I saw the human impact yeah. that it has, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I just don't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's some people say, oh, yeah, because you don't want to do that in that country. So it's nothing to do with the country. You know, if that was in Australia and Australian were treated poorly and everything, well, I would not do that either. Yeah. You know, it's not about this country versus this one. It's, it's, it's about like more a system versus mm-hmm. another system. Mm-hmm. So I decided to manufacture in Europe because I know where it's manufactured. I know that they care about the environment in right. a manufacturing plant. I know they treat people well in mm-hmm. that area. I know that it's going to benefit, you know, the area in a small way, but it's still going to benefit the area because it can have a, a decent cut of, you know, the pie. Yeah. And so when I been able to reunite everything, then I thought that that was a good product and a good, good business, business model. So, wow. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, because, um, I mean, these days I'm starting to take a bit notice of physical products as well, mm-hmm. because I, I guess my partner is really into, she's very tradey, so very okay. DIY. Yeah. So, like even when you buy a juicer, right? There's mm-hmm. this little tip around how you actually um could actually make a juice fall better. Yeah. And how you can actually close it off so that when you take your juice away, the whole juice the residue doesn't come down. 
So it's like small changes, but actually it's so convenient. Yeah. And even just how you actually tip oil over, I mean, not a juicer, but how you actually, you have an oil container. And you know, like sometimes some container, they have this little tip there. So that the oil get drawn back once you tip it back. And small little things. I don't really care last time. I'm like, now I'm like, all right, it makes sense. Otherwise, there'll be like small little spots on the table and then I'll use a cloth that mm. actually takes a bit more time, a bit more energy. It's just like, yeah, you know, you have, you have to be more conscious about the decision that you make on the product and not yeah. because the product is cheap because I yeah. tend, to, tend, tend to go for the cheapest product last okay. time. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, okay, maybe we need to think about it mm. a bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I think cheap is also very costly over time. Mm, true. You have a cheap blender, for example. I, I yeah. just bought one when I arrived in Australia, just because, you know, I needed one and didn't have much money, so I thought, well, yeah. let's go for a cheap one. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it took four or five months and then it was done. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Imagine all the resources that we've been digging out of the ground and all the travel and everything just for making a product that will go in the bin. It's like manufacturing to go in the bin directly. Like, it, it does, doesn't make any sense. So... And that's where also I'm, what I'm trying to do in the work I do is trying to also innovate with the products, but also with the business model. So I think there will be other business models that will be more favorable for the customer and the companies where instead of selling a blender, you sell the capacity to make juice, if that makes sense. Trying to imagine it. So. M- meaning yeah. that maybe you rent the blender or you pay per juice you make or something. Okay. So if you take that from the customer perspective, mm-hmm. I don't have to have to pay you know six hundred dollars for a good blender. I pay three dollars per blend that I do in my house. Yeah. When I need them, from the manufacturer perspective, when they design a blender, they design a blender with a life cycle, meaning it has to break down after some time. Yeah. So the engine is kind of, you know, and you have that for printers, like you have inject printer, Mm -hmm. they have a chip after, you know, 2000 prints, something like this, the chip says, we're done. And the printer says, I'm dead. (laughs) And and some hackers can hack into that and and reset the chip or something. But most people, you know, it's like, like, oh, that's 80 bucks, put that in the bin, and it doesn't work anymore. But actually it works. So the flip in terms of manufacturing, yeah. what would happen if you manufacture a blender that would last, I don't know, 20 years, super low maintenance, mm-hmm. very, very high quality. But it's a different business model. And strangely enough, if you do that well, there's more money to make here. Yeah, true. I mean, like, so, effectively kind of lease the capacity, like you say, to make yeah. a juice rather than a one-off purchase, yeah. right? Hmm. Wow, that would be an interesting model to look out for, though. Yeah, so that's the kind of thinking that I like to apply sometimes. And, and that's the discussion I like to have to have mm. with some of my clients. And how are the clients taking this type of change in the business model? I mean, like you mentioned around like, how you're going to flip the business yeah, model. Yeah. Uh, for larger organizations, it seems to be hard because there are silos and segmenting. Let's mm-hmm. say I do a product design, I design you know, a blender. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to the head of engineering or, you know, but I've not really accessed the CEO for that because I need to go through the engineering first. Yes. And, you know, and I, you know, so if I go to the head of engineering, I say, okay, well, I have a new blender. It's you know, super sturdy, like it's going to last 30 years. No worries. And, you know, that's the cause. And the guy yeah. is like, what's happening with you? Because it doesn't make absolutely, it makes no sense to do that. Except if you apply the same business model, 
it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. If you have a different business model, but if you cannot access who to talk to, then it's a bit of a dead end. Mm. So best discussions are with the general managers or the CEOs, mm -hmm. because then they can understand the longer term, the big vision of the company, and that's what they care about. Yeah. Everyone's in Blender. Will the next competitor will be from, I don't know, another country that is cheap, you know, cheap manufacturing labor and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it will beat your own price and copy your technology. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what do you do then? Yeah. So, yeah, there are tools like branding, marketing, all that stuff and mm -hmm. design and functionality. But sometimes, you know, changing the whole paradigm could be a good answer too. Mm, true. I mean, just entire, just flip the entire business model around and change the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you have, um, do you have any last words to add? Like, how can the listener be, like, from this conversation, what is the one thing that you would like the listeners to take away today? Just to start the journey. Like, yeah. just don't be afraid. Because, you know, most people say, ah, oh, it's too big, too long, too difficult, too whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like when I said in a, in a talk, like, if you look at the movies, like you need to be a superhero in all the movies to change your world. Yeah, yeah. you need to be a Bruce Willis or kind of a Marvel, you know, superhero to do to have an impact. That's yeah. not true. You can have an impact, and actually, you do have doing nothing has an impact. Accepting the narrative has an impact. Yes, I like what you said. Accepting the narrative yeah. has an impact because you, if you accept things as it is. Mm -hmm. Nothing really changes. Exactly. Yeah. So just having this moment of realization that mm -hmm. actually you don't have to buy into that stuff, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm not denying that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying, okay, it's one narrative. Let's try to open your mind to other stuff like that. So just start the journey. Like, be curious. What am I reading every day? Uh, yeah. What type of news? What am I doing of my days? Do I have self-education? Do I have a moment for myself every now and then? Do I have a moment of reflection? Do I have a moment of conversation with yeah. people? Which uh, podcast I'm listening to? Which which book do I read? Completely fine to read novels and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Every now and then, try to pick a book that picks your brain. Mm -hmm. I like that. You know, that would challenge you. It's like, okay, pick a book about worldviews. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, there are all the people on this planet that think completely different, differently than I am. What can you learn from that? Mm -hmm. And I think the main thing for me is just be curious in life. You know, it's like that we are here in that co-working space where there's a, a childcare just around. Kids are curious. Yeah. Naturally. And then after that, the education kind of kills that a bit. You know, it's like, you know, you need to fit into that thing and that channel and, and it's mm -hmm. getting narrow and narrow and everything. But King's like, oh, okay, what's that? Oh, and, you know, they're going to explore that and see if it breaks, if it's, you know, what, sometimes what it tastes. And, you know, so they're going to have, it's completely open. There's no good, bad, wrong, you know. It's just what's out there. Mm -hmm. And they do that for a long time, actually. They do explore. Yeah. So I'm not saying be a kid, but, you know, keep your exploration and curiosity fresh and, and just open. And that's just start there. Yeah, just start the journey. Yeah, that, that's a really good one. I think very often we forget as working adults, you know, we're so indulged, I would probably not say indulged, so engrossed in work that we kind of forget our own sense of wonder. Yeah. Yeah, we don't wonder like, why is this this way? Why is it that way? Unless a big event happened, right? Yeah. A big life event happened, like, yeah. oh, actually, why did that hmm. happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but the things that, why do you want to wait for the life event to happen? Why not actually... Think about it yourself. Why are you doing this today? Yeah. You know, just even questioning why are you doing this? 
why are some people doing slightly differently from me? I mean, there's no wrong, no right, but mm, really yeah. trying to understand the underlying mindset of people yeah. and the culture behind it as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And everything that would expand your mind, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Now, have a conversation with your neighbor. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be difficult or, or you know, just very, very simple stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe to illustrate that from the personal perspective, so I just did that talk, the you know, TEDx Casey. Yes. I just made the decision to be a professional speaker four years ago. I'm an introvert. Last thing I wanted to do is be on stage, like really. I feel you. Because <laughs> uh, it's not where I'm comfortable. Yeah. But at that time, I made a decision because the values I see in this world and you know the change of narrative and everything, I didn't see that. And I didn't see anyone talking about that. So I thought, well, just give it a shot. And the journey started very, very small. My first presentation, there were three people in the room. So wow. I did a keynote with three people in the room. It's like, okay, uh, that's a, yeah, you know, like super uplifting, yeah. as you can imagine. Sure. But I did it because that was important maybe for those three people. And then, you know, after that, there were, you know, a bit more people mm-hmm. in the room. And then I still did the work. So there's a lot of work in the last four years. Yeah. But it's small bits, you know, what can I learn? What uh, I do? You learn a bit about body language and you learn about pacing and uh, you learn about narrative storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, personal storytelling. And mm-hmm. So start where you are and just yeah. do that first step. That's yeah. all I'm asking you is go out there and do the first step. <laughs> Be curious, that's all. Great, that's really super good. Just before we end off, where can the um, listener find you or you know, where, where can they hear about yeah. you? I think maybe the easiest way to, is to go on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the Philippe Guichard on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing some blogs or some of my um, business and speaker website. So there's a speaker website called philipspeaks.com. And there's a, a few blogs about speaking and storytelling and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, uh, I think that's one of the easiest way to find me. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's super awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's right. been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.